I'm Laura Green. Welcome to the Sapphic Book Review Podcast, the show that brings you the best in sapphic fiction. Join me as I chat with authors, narrators, and friends who share my love for the genre. You will learn things you didn't know about your favorites and get some suggestions for your next read. Thanks for listening and be sure to subscribe. Welcome to the Sapphic Book Review Podcast. Today's guest is one of my Provincetown pals. She's also a talented writer who's worked to make our community more inclusive. Pagan Shepard, welcome and thanks for being here. Thanks so much for having me. Happy to be here. In November, you released Almost Perfect. For anyone who hasn't read it yet, tell them about Olivia and Riley. Sure, yeah. So uh, Almost Perfect was kind of my way to take the like sapphic entertainment stuff that I really love and the fandoms, the wonderful fandoms that are around that, and kind of bring it into my writing. So... Olivia is a fan artist and a super fan of the latest hot new sapphic TV show. And Riley is a famous entertainment blogger and and journalist. So they have their meet cute at a queer entertainment convention, kind of like Lexicon. And then the, you know, the story is them kind of trying to take that, that chemistry and navigate through long distance relationships and the fandoms and and ups and downs of uh, career to try and get that happily ever after that they see in their shows. It's very cute. I like Olivia. She's kind of one of my crushes now. Oh, nice. Yeah, she's a little spicy, you know. I like spicy. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) The day after my birthday, April 11th, When It Feels Right will be available, which I feel like you did just for me. So thanks. Absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) Give us a sneak peek. So this is kind of my chance to get back together with some of my favorite side characters from the past. So this is a couple of characters who appeared briefly in my 2021 release, Swipe Right. It's not a sequel by any means. It's definitely standalone. But it's Abby, who is this quirky, bold, beautiful, sexy bartender who works at a dyke bar in D.C. And Marlene, she came out later in life. Her first girlfriend broke her heart, so that breakup kind of triggered all of her insecurities. So she convinces Abby to move in with her to give her lesbian 101 lessons. (laughs) So, you know what happens, sparks fly with roommates, and uh, yeah. I could have used some of those lesbian 101 lessons back in the day. Right? Same here. (laughs) (laughs) Who's your favorite supporting character from one of your books? Honestly, Abby was one of my favorites. That's why I wanted to give her her own story. She's a ray of sunshine. So uh, I wanted to give her that that happy ending. But I would have to say, she doesn't count. She's a main character now. So uh, (laughs) so, (laughs) that's right. um, I would say the kids from Almost Perfect. Olivia has a 10-year-old sister named Chelsea. And Chelsea's best friend, Lewis, who is super gay and like just cute as a button. And the two of them are kind of like snarky. And uh, it's it's always fun, too, as a, as a romance author. I get to have like, you know, the 10-year-old sister, like, ooh, my big sister is falling in love and flirting and kissing. And so I get to have that little like kind of the foil to my normal, normal story. So I love those kids. They were fun to write. I love kids in sapphic romances. They add so yeah. much to the books. Absolutely. Kids and kids and cats. And dogs. And dogs. (laughs) (laughs) If you could have a dinner party with two of your couples and two other authors' couples, which would you choose and why? I love this question. This is my favorite. So (laughs) so my two couples would be Kieran and Penn from Swipe Right. They're just fun. So they're, it's a friends to lovers. So they have that kind of like warm, already know each other, like feel safe with each other thing. So I always love that. I've been married to my wife for 22 years. So like, I love that middle part of their relationship where you just feel safe with somebody. So them, and then from, and then there was her is book set on a a winery. So yeah, I needed CS and uh, Madison to bring the wine to the party. (laughs) 
And then the couples from other people's books. I would have to say Denny and Eliza from Jay's uh, Wrong Number, Right Woman. Love those. My guys. wife says that I'm like Denny because I'm kind of awkward and shy and <laughs> and simple and I require deep pockets in my jeans. <laughs> Can you sew your own jeans? I cannot, but I do buy men's jeans for the pockets. That's the only reason. <laughs> but, uh, and then the other couple I would have to say from E.J. Noyce's book, Reaping the Benefits, Jane and Morgan. Jane is just sweet and simple, and I love those characters. And then Morgan's just fucking hot, right? She <laughs> like, is. And she lives forever, so come on. A little, a little immortality wouldn't hurt a dinner party. Oh, the stories Morgan would have. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Which of your couples do you relate to the most? Couples I relate to the most. Hmm. Actually, that's a kind of an easy one. So my second book, Bird on a Wire, Birdie and uh, Della is her wife. So that book, it's not your traditional romance. It's a, it's a little bit different because it's an established couple. That book is very personal to me because it was published right before the 10-year anniversary of my mom's death. And the kind of main storyline of that is Birdie losing her mom. My mom and I were, were super close. I was the youngest of five. Looked like her. I sound like her. Like we have the same smile, the whole thing. But she didn't take it well when I came out. And so there was some pain there that was never really, we never really talked about it. So when she died, it was kind of that realization that I would never get closure on that, that moment. So Birdie has to go through that. There's a lot of like Della there helping her through that, but Birdie doesn't necessarily see it because in many ways, I think like all of us, Birdie is like a little bit, a little bit brave and a little bit of a coward at the same time. Uh, and so I, I kind of relate to that too. So my mom died 16 years ago and I came out after that because I thought I liked boys until I was like 35. <laughs> I, <Yeah. laughs> so <laughs> I often wondered how she, I think she would have probably taken it well, but I mean, obviously, I'll, I'll just never know. It's sad not to have that kind of closure. Yeah, absolutely. You always, that the what ifs are, are a lot. How did you meet your wife and what did you do on your first date? Uh, so I met my wife the first class of my first day of college. It was 8 a.m. Acting 101. And if there's one class that should not be at 8 a.m., it's Acting 101 for someone who's not an actor. We both went to school for theater at Virginia Commonwealth here in Virginia. And it took me a year and a half to get up the nerve to hit on her. Uh, <laughs> so our first date was to this kind of terrible dive bar that actually had surprisingly good food. It was called Baja Bean Company in Richmond, Virginia. And her roommate worked there and I was 19 and my wife, Chris was 21. So the only way that we could like get served alcohol was if somebody like we knew served us. So then, so we ended up at Baja Bean and, and made out in the bathroom and 22 years later, <laughs> that same spot is now like a super classy wine bar. So we're planning on going there for our anniversary next year. Oh, you have to. Right? Exactly. And I'm so glad to know that your first day of college relationship worked out better than mine. Mine was history class, which is also awful at 8 a.m. Toby asked me out the second day of school. And I was so excited because I'm in college now and I got, already got asked out by a guy. He took me to his uncle's hot dog stand. Really? <laughs> was it a good hot dog? Fine. It was just a hot dog. And then he, he wanted to watch Jeopardy at his house. Come on, Toby. We all know what you're after and it's not going to happen. I've seen that movie. <laughs> <laughs> You recently ended your run as the Director of Diversity and Inclusion for the Golden Crown Literary Society. What were your goals when you took on that role, and did you achieve what you set out to do? Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm super proud of my work with GCLS, and, and to be clear, 
I love GCLS, so we'll continue to be a part of it. I'll continue to do DEI work with GCLS because I think our community is worth working hard for. And yeah, and, and I do also want to make it clear that all of the work that I'm going to talk about, all the stuff that I did, it was definitely not me alone. Um, there's a great group of people, both on the board and in the Diversity and Inclusion Committee. There's nothing that I accomplished on my own, but I did have some goals going in. I wanted to work on on racial equity. Our organization doesn't have the best track record with that. And so I wanted to, to be part of the movement forward. I wanted to work on being more inclusive of our trans and non-binary siblings. And then the big one for me, and this will, will always be my soapbox that I live on, um, is being inclusive of folks in our community who do not identify as lesbian and making sure that we are inclusive of them. And so that was the first big thing that I was able uh, to get accomplished that was important to me was changing the language that we used on the awards. It had already changed in the mission statement, but I wanted to make sure the Goldie Awards were clear on who we were talking about when we were talking about our literature. So we used to say lesbian themed, and we changed that to women loving women and sapphic. And I know that wasn't necessarily everybody's favorite change. And I honor the work that folks who started GCLS and continue to be a part of it did. And many of them identify as lesbians and and many folks don't identify as lesbians. We have lots of members, uh, supporters who are who are bisexual, who are pansexual, who are asexual, who are sapphically aligned non-binary folks. And I wanted to make sure that we were clear and precise in our language with that. So that's what we we changed the language to to include everyone, to, to list everyone who would be included in that, because a lot of folks see sapphic and they're not sure what that means, which is understandable. You know, we're all working toward being more inclusive. But, you know, we're, we're readers, we're writers, we're editors, uh, we're reviewers. We understand the power of language and using the correct language is really important. So when we say lesbian, I identify as lesbian, but I am not in a lesbian relationship. My wife is bisexual. So I'm not in a lesbian relationship. The literature I write, most of my relationships have at least one character who's bisexual or pansexual. So I don't write lesbian literature. And that's okay. I take power in the word lesbian, but you know, I want to make sure that the folks who take power in the word bisexual or asexual or two-spirit see themselves in our organization. And we were able to do that. So that was great. The other big thing that I'm really proud of is that we got the Audiobook Narrator Award into this year's awards program, and it will be going forward. Because a lot of people think of audiobooks as like entertainment, right? You know, you drive in or you clean in your house and you listen to a book. Well, for a lot of us, it's it's actually an accessibility device, right? If you have a physical disability that affects your vision and you can't read a book, an e-book or you can't read paper, then audiobooks are the only way that you can consume our literature. And then if you're someone like me, I have a neurodiversity audiobooks are really the only way that I can consume the literature because of uh, issues with attention. So it's it's really important. Uh, and I think that the, the folks who are narrators who bring to life our literature, their work is important and it should be it should be rewarded. So I'm very happy that we got that going. Um, I would also any um, just plug here, any <laughs> authors or uh, narrators or publishers out there, please make sure that while you're submitting for Goldie in the genre categories, that you also submit your audiobooks. Because, you know, the more attention we bring to these books in audio form, the more financially viable they'll be for us and the more we'll get great audiobooks. And then the last thing, I know I've talked for a long time, sorry. <laughs> the you, last you can thing, talk as long as you want. <laughs> the last thing is this year uh, we had our first in-person con since COVID. 
And one of the things that was really important to me was to have pronoun pins. So we got pronoun pins for, for folks to use during con. And the cool part is that, you know, I did a lot of research and I sourced those pins from an organization called Gender Bands. Gender Bands is a nonprofit organization that provides grants for gender affirming clothing and surgery for trans and non-binary folks. In the queer community, we are a community and we need to support each other. So, you know, our purchase of those pins didn't go to Hobby Lobby or someone who hates us, right? It went to an organization that's going to use that money to help folks in our community. So I'm super proud of that. I'm proud of all the, the DEI work that I did. I know that I'm disappointed that I didn't get more done in the racial equity sphere, but I know that our current directors of diversity and inclusion, Patrice James and Tressa Cherry, and our board are really focused on getting some headway made there. And I and I have the utmost respect for everybody on the board, and I, and I know they'll do great work. What you did was important, so I applaud you for well, thank you. what you were able to accomplish. Thank you. What do you like about living in Virginia? Ah, so the specific place I live in Virginia, I'm in Northern Virginia, right outside D.C., which is really cool because uh, I grew up in a, in a smaller town. So now I get access to like all of the, the smaller things that they can't, you know, musicians who can't sell out a stadium will still come to D.C. because there's smaller venues where they can make it worthwhile. Like next week, my wife is going to see Chris Purica. I don't know if you know who Chris is, but she's my wife's new favorite singer. And she's <laughs> desperately in love with this woman. And I'm going to be out of town. She's like, oh, no, I'm going to see Chris Perica. Mm-hmm. Just happened yeah. to happen while I was out of town. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, we got to see like uh, last weekend, we went to the Jinx Monsoon and Benda La Creme drag holiday show. Stuff like that didn't happen in Richmond, right? So it's just it's really cool to have access to that. And Virginia is a great wine area. Got some great wineries, really good stuff coming out. It's also the, the first wineries in America were planted uh, in Charlottesville, not far from where we live. So Really? I had no idea. Yeah. Thomas Jefferson did one good thing. That's about it. <laughs> <laughs> what was Little Tegan like as a child? Oh, he's such a nerd. Uh, <laughs> no, I was a history buff from like very young age. And I was that kid who would like stay behind after class to talk to the teacher about how cool the thing we just learned was. And she's <laughs> like, yeah, I've been teaching this for like 20 years stuff. But yeah, I was a, I was a big nerd. I also played a lot of sports, played softball and uh, basketball and volleyball until I blew my knee out. So yeah, I was nerdy athlete. <laughs> <laughs> so stereotypical. <laughs> right, exactly. Such a list. <laughs> when you aren't working or writing, what are your favorite hobbies? I am a, a big gamer. I play a lot of video games. I grew up on them. I'm, I'm in the Nintendo generation. Like, uh, I think I got a Nintendo for Christmas, like the original NES with the tiny controllers I got for Christmas when I was like five or six. So I've always like really been into that. I um, play a lot of like RPGs and dungeon crawls and that kind of stuff. So that's that's what I spend most of my time doing. But also we, we bought a, uh, a fixer-upper during the pandemic. So house reno projects are becoming my new <laughs> my new hobby. I don't know if it's a hobby or like a requirement, but I, I had a couple of weeks off recently and I put in a shiplap wall in my office and did wow. some plumbing and electrical. And yeah, Very it's handy. out of necessity. But <laughs> My son's a gamer and he actually went to state last year. Oh. One, one state in the esports. Nice. You can get like college scholarships now for esports. I'm like, yeah. where was this when I was going to college, man? Yeah, he was offered. He was offered a partial one oh, to see, play video games. Fantastic. All those years, I said, you know, do you stop playing the goddamn video game so much? Yeah, what did I? No, nope. mom's always wrong, right? <laughs> always. 
You have the best hair of anyone in our community. Okay. It's true. Has it always been so spectacular, or did you go through that awkward phase most of us survived as teenagers or are still in at 50? So, <laughs> so uh, it's it's funny because I had my awkward stage much later, and it was very recently, in fact. I'm a big fan of uh, women's soccer. And like two years ago, everybody was doing this thing where it's like they had the, the undercut like I've got, but they grew it out long and brought it into like a bun or a knot right at the back of their head. And I was like, oh, that looks cool. I want to do that. And my wife was like, that's not going to look good on you. <laughs> everybody loves your hair. Why don't you just stick with it? And I was like, no. So I started growing it out like last summer. It was maybe like last spring, last summer. It takes forever for hair to grow. I forgot that because I've had it short <laughs> for so long. And, you know, it was all these awkward phases of where I couldn't go up anymore. And then like, I, but it wasn't long enough to pull back and it just flopped around my face. And then I finally got it to the point where I could pull it back. And I pulled it back for the first time, put it up in a band. And I looked at it. I was like, I hate that. That looks terrible. <laughs> so I have, I have really fine, thin hair. So like that works great going up like I do because it, it's not too heavy to flop over. but when you pull it back, you need a little bit of body in it. And I just don't have any body in my hair. So fortunately, my, my sister-in-law uh, is, a, is a hairdresser. She cuts our hair. So every six weeks I go and you know she cleans it up. And so I finally, I went in and I was like, nope, this was a bad experiment. Take it away. <laughs> but, uh, but it was just long enough for her to forget how to cut my hair and for me to forget how to style it. So there was a couple of awkward months in there right before GCLS. But I finally got it in right before GCLS when people saw me again. So. <laughs> Thank God, I, I saw you. And if I would have had seen bad hair, I would have been like, oh my God, what happened to her? No one would have recognized me. It would have been like, <laughs> who is that? <laughs> what are your three favorite sapphic books? Oh, so this one is just an unfair question. It's I like, know. who's your favorite friend? Oh, I know. <laughs> you know, but I'm a scientist. So I took the, a scientific approach to it. So the first one is my favorite book ever, which is called Jane Unlimited by Kristen Cashor. It may not be familiar to all of your listeners because it's a mainstream and it's not romance, it's YA, but it's really cool premise. It's a, basically, it's a choose your own adventure. So it's got five different endings to this book. Like the first part happens and then your main character, Jane, gets to a point where she has to make a decision. And then the five endings are all different styles of book. So like the first one is a cozy mystery. The second one is a spy thriller. The third one is sci-fi. Fourth one is gothic. Fifth one is like a fantasy kind of paranormal thing. Such an amazing idea. And, and it's just so well written. I love Kristen Cashor. It's really a fun book. And spoiler alert, she gets the girl in all five endings. <laughs> so my second one is my favorite classic or backlist. I say that because my wife said this book is not old enough to be considered a classic, but it can be backwards. So it is uh, Backwards to Oregon by Jay. And that's because, like I said, I'm a gamer. I grew up on Oregon Trail, right? I played Oregon Trail on the Apple IIe as a kid <laughs> in school. So it was like the Oregon Trail, but make it gay. So that was fantastic. That's one of my favorites. And then my third favorite is my favorite one I've read this year. And that one is Daring Duplicity by Edel Lane who is an author I'd never heard of before, um, but it had a really cool cover. So I picked it up and best decision ever because it's so neat. It's basically like a sapphic Sherlock Holmes type deal. So it's a private investigator in like Dickensian London. And it's written like I've read all of the Sherlock Holmes books. So like I could see the ways that it was very much like the original, like it's short stories rather than one long book. And there's like the one that's the trip to the countryside and the ones that are in town and fantastic. So those are my three. 
Those are good. I've only read the J book, so I can add those to my TBR. There you go. Yeah. The um, Jane Unlimited, I'm going to add to, I have a like a half sleeve I'm going to make into a full sleeve. I'm going to get that on my, my full sleeve because it's my new favorite book. Wow. That's a very serious commitment to a book. <laughs> but yeah, I have it on audio and I listen to it once a year. It's one of those comfort things. So I'll look forward to seeing that tattoo, maybe in Denver. Maybe. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> Tegan, thanks so much for taking the time to chat. Happy holidays to you and your family. Thank you so much. This was great. Thanks for listening. And thanks again to Tegan Shepard for joining me. To learn more about Tegan and find links to purchase her books, visit TeganShepard.com. To support this podcast, you can buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash Or you can join my Patreon. For as little as $5 a month, you can hear your favorite authors play Would You Rather. Here's a sample of this week's with Tegan Shepard. Thanks so much for listening. And until next time, happy reading. Would you rather go to QueerCon with Riley and Olivia or go on tour with Birdie? I think I would go to QueerCon um, because there's, in the book, Kat Burrell goes to QueerCon and I definitely want to meet her. So, and they get <laughs> VIP passes. So there's a chance. Oh, Kat Burrell. I miss her. Right? Not not that we're friends. I meant on this show. Why not on Earth? Not looking real at life. her face is a, a happy time. <laughs> it, it really is. Would you rather change your eye color or your hair color? God, I have really good hair and I like my eye color. Oh, that's a tough one. I would say hair color because I, I used to like bleach my hair and then make it a different bright color every two weeks. And I really enjoyed that, but I haven't been able to do it for a while because of work. So hair color. I can see that. I did uh, like bright pink, bright blue, green. I was a theater student. I was allowed. <laughs>